Shalom, brothers and sisters. I'm Brother Sid. I have Brother Christopher assisting me today. We are the Commandment Keepers Church. We have a detailed lesson prepared for our brothers and sisters internationally. The title of today's lesson will be The Urgency of the Hour. The Urgency of the Hour. <clears throat> brothers and sisters, what we'll learn today is that God's business requires haste, brothers and sisters, haste. So those in whom the Most High would use would understand, they would operate understanding that there's one thing that you can't get back, according to the Bible, and that is time, brothers and sisters. You have a limited time to fulfill what God's will is for you, brothers and sisters. We are in the last days. Let's go into this. We're, we're going to start at Luke 17 and 26. Luke 17 and 26. And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it also be in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat, they drank, they married wives. They were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and the flood came. Read that again, brother, please, from 26, because the gospel insists with a real sense of urgency on the need to take our life seriously. Because look at how it, this is being framed. By showing the similarity to Noah's day, Christ described a world continuing in the normal routines of life. Take a listen. Verse 26. And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it also be in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat, they drank, they married wives. They were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark. Until what? Until <clears throat> until the day that Noah entered into until the ark. Until the day. Until the very day, brothers and sisters. Until the day that Noah entered into the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Why? Because all things continued as normal. That is, until Noah and his family entered the ark, brothers and sisters. Look at the next scripture. Verse 28, likewise also as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built it. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom. But that what? But the same day. The same day. That Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. So what are we seeing here, brothers and sisters? The urgency of the hour. We have to operate with this, this level of urgency because he's telling you that that very day, guess what? People that day before in Sodom were operating regular. That very day, in fact, they were operating regular, carrying on with their regular business. It's just like today for you, brothers and sisters. Today, you carried on your regular business. What if tomorrow everything changed where you live at, in your country? You see that, brothers and sisters? So he's telling you what? The people whom God will utilize for service will always have a sense of urgency. See that? Why? Because Noah had a sense of urgency. Lot had a sense of urgency. See that? All the people in whom he used had a sense of urgency, brothers and sisters. Let us show you that sense of urgency, what it looks like coming from the Apostle Paul. Let's go to 1 Corinthians, brother. 
Let's go to 1 Corinthians 7 and 29, because this is what the urgency of the hour looks like, okay? According to the apostle, Paul. We're going to read 29, brothers and sisters, all the way down to, let's go all the way down to 35. 1 Corinthians 7 and 29. What's that saying, brother? But this I say, brethren, the time is short. It remaineth that both they that have wives be as though they had none. Read that again, brother. According to Paul, in crisis, we need a radical perspective about the proper priorities in life. Verse 29. But this I say, brethren, the time is short. It remaineth that both they that have wives be as though they had none. They that what? They that have wives be as though they had none. So he's saying even if you're married, you're going to have to operate as if you're not married during these last times. He said time is short. Because why? He's telling you never put our temporary commitments above our eternal service to Christ. So he's saying yes, understand when you get married or whatever, you're in a relationship a lot of times your time is now cut in half. He's telling you, you're going to have to operate. That That's fine. That's good and all that. But you're going to have to operate understanding time is short. If you're going to work for God, you have to know what is priority. And what's priority? God's business. Christ taught you that. Christ taught his mother that. He taught his father that. Did you not know I had to be about my father's business? So we have to be about our father's business first. Paul is telling you, listen, there's nothing wrong with being married, but you have work to do, okay? And God doesn't cut your work in half because you're married. Read the next scripture, brother, please. Verse 30. Verse 30. And they that weep as though they wept not, and they that rejoice as though they rejoice not, and they that buy as though they possess not. Look at this, brothers and sisters. Believers must put their emotions into perspective and poise. Look at what he's saying. We should orient our thinking with a sense of toughness. Maturity does not unravel under duress, brothers and sisters. Look at what he's telling you here. So it wasn't just marriage. Let's read 29 again, brother, because he starts at marriage and then he continues. 1 Corinthians 7 and 29. But this I say, brethren, the time is short. It remaineth that both they that have wives be as though they had none. Continue. And they that weep as though they wept not. What is he saying? They that weep as though they wept not. Put your pers put your emotions in check. <laughs> he said time is short, okay? You're going to have to learn to get your emotions in check. And they that rejoice as though they rejoice not. See? Your emotions in check. And they that buy as though they possess not. You need to get your finances in order economically. Why? 29 told us time is short. So what is he saying? Business must be put in moratorium in spiritual crisis, brothers and sisters. Okay? Read the next scripture, please, brother. Verse 31. And they that use this world as not abusing it, for the fashion of this world passeth away. For the what? For the fashion of this world passeth away. The fashion of this world is not permanent, but it's transient and temporary, brothers and sisters. See that also, marriage is not permanent. There's more to life than a spouse and kids. And this is what he's going to show. Take a look. Verse 32. 
but I would have you without carefulness. He that is unmarried careth for the things that belong to the Lord. A brother who's not married, a single brother, can focus all of his effort on the Most High. How he may please the Lord. What does he focus on? How he may please the Lord. What does the single brother focus on? How he may please the Lord. Continue. But he that is married careth for the things that are of the world. How he may please his wife. See, naturally, when you're in a relationship, you have to concede some things. You have to find out, you know, how to make this other person happy, right? The Bible is telling you, so if you're unmarried, don't. Don't tr don't look to be married. Why? <laughs> because when you do that, now you're taking away your focus from God. Read that one more time, brother, please. Verse 33. But he that is married careth for the things that are of the world, how he may please his wife. There is a difference also between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman careth for the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and in spirit. But she that is married careth for the things of the world. So look at that. It's telling you this, the unmarried woman can focus on God. The married woman have to focus on her family. So brothers and sisters, singleness provides opportunity to serve God or Christ or both rather undivided. You see that brothers and sisters? Read verse 35, brother, please. Verse 35. And this I speak for your own profit. Read that again, brother. And this I speak for your own profit. Not that I may cast a snare upon you, but for that which is comely, and that ye may attend upon the Lord without distraction. Without what, brother? Without distraction. The basis for his recommendation is in view of this impending crisis, brothers and sisters. The issue is not to neglect the responsibilities of life, but to put those issues in proper focus. And this is what he was showing. Time is short, okay? So if you are married, understand you have to operate as if you are not married. If you are single, don't seek to be married, the Bible is saying. It doesn't say not to get married. It's saying don't look for it. Let God bring that to you because you have work to do. You have work to do. And as we said before, your work is not getting cut in half because you have kids or because you're married. It's, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You just got more work to do, brothers and sisters. Time is short. Let's go to Ezekiel, brother, 14. Ezekiel in the Old Testament. 14 and 12. We'll read uh, 12 through 14. Ezekiel 14 and 12. What's that saying, brother? The word of the Lord came again to me, saying, Son of man, when the land sinneth against me by trespassing grievously. Read that again. Son of man, when the land sinneth against me by trespassing grievously. When who? When the land sinneth against me by trespassing grievously, then will I stretch out mine hand upon it, and will break the staff of the bread thereof, and will send famine upon it, and will cut off man and beast from it. According to the text, land can indeed sin, brothers and sisters. 
and become a target of God's judgment. We're seeing it clearly in this particular text. Read 13 one more, read 13 one more time, brother, please. Verse 13. Because this was God's promised judgment upon a land. It was agricultural failure where it talks about what? Famine. Let's take a look. Son of man, when the land sinneth against me by trespassing grievously, then will I stretch out mine hand upon it and will break the staff of the bread thereof and will send famine upon it. See that agricultural failure. And will cut off man and beast from it. See, so the lack of food will cut off man and beast from it, right? Verse 14. Though these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in it. Read that again, brother. Though these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in it, they should deliver but their own souls by their righteousness, saith the Lord God. Look at this closely, brothers and sisters. The Bible is telling you during this time, these were the three most righteous men to ever live. Read that again, brother, please. Verse 14. Though these three men. Though these three men. Noah. Noah. Daniel. Daniel. And Job. Job. Were in it. Even though they, even if they were in this land. They should deliver but their own souls by their righteousness. They should only be able to deliver their own souls through their righteousness. So, brothers and sisters, Daniel was one of Ezekiel's contemporaries during this time. Okay? So, what we're seeing here is the Bible is telling you, even if Noah and Daniel and Job were in the land, they would only deliver their own lives. How? By their righteousness. So there was so much evil, even these men couldn't deliver others. They would only be able to deliver themselves. The Bible is showing you these righteous men would be spared and everyone else would suffer the aforementioned calamities, brothers and sisters. You see that? He's telling you these three men. And this is Ezekiel writing this, right? During the, the time of Daniel. During the time of Daniel, Daniel was a young man. <laughs> Ezekiel is writing this about a young man. So take a look at this, brothers and sisters. Take a look at this. He's telling you there's three men that you can look at that delivered themselves. So what are we showing you? We're showing you that the time is coming. You're going to have to deliver yourself. Read it one more time, brother, because the Bible is telling you how you'll be able to do that. Ezekiel 14 and 14. Though these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in it, they should deliver but their own souls how? by their righteousness. How? By their righteousness. Saith who? Saith the Lord God. Saith the commandment keepers church? Saith the Lord God. See, brothers and sisters. So we're going to take a look at these three characters. Why? Because the Bible is telling you during this time, these were the three. This was the creme de la creme, brothers and sisters. These were the most righteous men to ever walk. Now, notice one of those is a Jew. One of those was not a Jew. The other one was a white man. Noah was not a Jew because there was no such thing as Jews during that time. He was not an Israelite. Why? Because there was no such man as Jacob during that time. Okay? And then you had what? Daniel, who was Judah. And then you had Job, who was Edomite. He was European. 
So look at this. This was strategic <laughs> that this was written here, that the Most High put this here. Why? Because the gospel is for all people. The gospel is for all people. And we're not going to sit here and say that a white man or a Korean man or an African can't be a man of God because they're not Israelite. Because the Bible is telling you clearly two of the most righteous men that ever walked during this time were not black, were not Judah. They were not Israelites. So let's dive deep into this. Let's go to 2 Corinthians, brother, 7 and 1. Let's go here first. Let's, break, let's use the Bible to break this down completely. 2 Corinthians 7 and 1. What's that say, brother? 2 Corinthians 7 and 1. Why do we go here? Because the text said clearly, and I quote, Though these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in it, were in that land, they should deliver but their own souls by their righteousness. They should deliver but their own souls by their righteousness. So they were able to deliver their own souls, they would have been, by their righteousness. So let's deal with that part, that you have the ability to deliver thyself. Let's go there. Having, therefore, these promises, dearly beloved. Tell them where you are, you are brother. Second Corinthians 7 and 1. Having, therefore, these promises, dearly beloved. Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. What did he say? Dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. According to the apostle, there are two types of filthiness. Read those again, brother. Let us do what? Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Now that's clear, brothers and sisters. <laughs> okay, let us cleanse ourselves. You see? So I need you to examine the chronological structure of the text, brothers and sisters. You must cleanse yourself of all filthiness to your progression into perfection. Read that again, brother, please. Verse 1. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. See that? So that's iniquity, which is the spiritual sin, and then your flesh, which is your lust. Perfecting holiness. How? In the fear of God. How? In the fear of God. According to the author, the first step of bringing holiness into completion is cleansing or purification, brothers and sisters. Did you see that? Dearly beloved what, brother? Dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. See, cleanse thyself. So you have the ability to cleanse thyself. Let's find out. By the mouth of two or three witnesses, let all things be established. Let's go to 2 Timothy here. 2 Timothy 2 and 21. By the mouth of two or three witnesses. We just came from Paul. Paul told us you can cleanse yourself. Let's see what Timothy had to say. 2 Timothy 2 and 21. What's that saying, brother? If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. Brothers and sisters, in these texts, Paul's emphasis is on our responsibility to cleanse ourselves from the defilement of sin. 
Note verse 21 that cleansing is our responsibility. Read that one more time, brother, please. Verse 21. If a man therefore purge himself from thee. If he does what? Purge himself from thee. If he does what? Purge himself from these. What? He shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, and meet for the master's use. See that? A cleansing must take first, take place first. The purging, then he can be useful, right? And prepared unto every good work. And then he, he's prepared. Now he's ready to do good works. Now he's ready to be enlisted in the army. Okay. Verse 22. What shall he purge himself from, brother? Flee also youthful lust, but follow righteousness. Now this is critical. Be, look at what it says here. What does it say, brother? Verse 22. Flee also youthful lust. So life. is it enough to just flee youthful lust? Is it enough to just stop lusting? Is it enough to just stop watching pornific uh uh porn pornographic, you know, stuff and all that? Is that is that it? Just stop doing that? What does the text say? Flee also youthful lust. And but follow righteousness. See that? So just fleeing the youthful lust is not enough. You have to now follow righteousness. Faith, charity, peace, with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. With who? With them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Your serviceability is directly affiliated with your pursuit of holiness, not your, not your biblical intellect, brothers and sisters. See, the text magnifies the importance of what? Your inner life, brothers and sisters. Now, Paul provided a strategy to win the war on lust. What was it? Read verse 22, brother. Verse 22. Flee also youthful lust, but follow righteousness, faith, charity. With who? With them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. With only those who call on the Most High out of a pure heart. See that? So now he tells you who to do this with. <laughs> Why? Because time is short. Time is short. You need to know who an enemy is. You need to know who a friend is. Brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters, follow us to Leviticus 20 and 7. Chapter 20, verse 7 and 8. Leviticus 20 and 7. Sanctify yourselves, therefore. Do what, brother? Sanctify yourselves, therefore. In this passage, sanctification is our responsibility. Brothers and sisters, sanctify yourselves, therefore, and be ye holy. And what? And be ye holy. It is the most highest provision that makes holy practice a plausible possibility, brothers and sisters. For I am the Lord your God. For who is? For I am. Ahia. For Ahia, the Lord your God. Verse 8. And ye shall keep my statutes and do them. I am the Lord which sanctify you. See that? These are two important aspects of your ongoing walk with God, brothers and sisters. Number, of, uh, excuse me, verse 7. Verse 7. Sanctify yourselves, therefore, and be ye holy, for I am the Lord your God. Number one, brothers and sisters, according to the text, we worship God by standing apart. Sanctify means to separate, brothers and sisters. To be ye holy means to be ye separate. That's what holy means, brothers and sisters. Okay? 
That's what sanctify means. So first he tells us to stand apart. Be holy by standing apart. <laughs> See, be holy by sanctifying yourself. What sanctify mean? Separating yourself, right? But how do we stand apart? Verse 8. Verse 8. And ye shall keep my statutes and do them. See that? <laughs> I am the Lord which sanctify you. See that? See, brothers and sisters? First he tells you what you need to do. Sanctify yourself in order to be holy. Okay, God, how do I sanctify myself? Verse 8. Verse 8. And ye shall keep my statutes and do them. See that, brothers and sisters? That's how you stand apart. See, we do have the ability to sanctify ourselves, to separate from sin, to separate from paganism. Let's go to Romans. Let's go here. Let's go to a little New Testament here. Romans, the sixth chapter, the 18th verse. Romans 6 and 18. Being then made free from sin. He became the servants of righteousness. Brothers and sisters, according to the text, how do you become a servant of God? Being then made free from sin, he became the servants of righteousness. See, according to the author, the separation of sin begins your service. Being made free from sin, ye became servants. See, of righteousness. You could only become a servant of righteousness once you became free from sin. Brothers and sisters, you can't serve until you separate from sin. The Bible is breaking that down. Can you read that again, brother? Verse 18. Being then made free from sin, he became the servants of righteousness. Jump to verse 22, brother. Romans 6 and 22. But now being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness in the end, everlasting life. Here we read the renunciation of sin and the pursuit of holiness as the reasonable service subsequent to our redemption. Brothers and sisters, read that one more time, brother, because notice, ultimately, we don't free ourselves. We have been freed. Let's read that. Verse 22. But now being made free from sin. See, now being made free from sin. And become servants to God. Ye have your fruit unto holiness, and the end everlasting life. See, so according to the text, brothers and sisters, <laughs> the text implies that we don't make ourselves slaves of God. We have been enslaved to God, brothers and sisters. See, that's crystal clear. According to the text, redemption always comes with subsequent requirements. <laughs> you see that? The deliverance came first. The redemption came first. See, where's the redemption? Read 22, brother. Verse 22, but now being made free from sin. See, that that's the redemption. That's the deliverance. What comes after that, brother? And become servants to God. See that? <laughs> See, after your, after your deliverance comes service. That's how it works, brothers and sisters. And for your service, read. Ye have your fruit unto holiness. Which is? And the end everlasting life. Continue, brother. For the wages of sin is death. The what? The wages of sin is death. Brothers and sisters, the wages refers to a payment. The person receives a wage or payment for work. 
But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ our Lord. So it's clear, according to the text, the work of sinfulness earns a paycheck of death, brothers and sisters. You see that, brothers and sisters? So it's crystal clear. This is how you are to sanctify yourself. And according to the text, you have to sanctify yourself before becoming a servant. You can't serve God before you separate yourself from sin. That's the first thing he taught us. When you go back to Genesis, brothers and sisters, the first thing he did was divide light from darkness. So in the beginning of your walk, the very first thing he will do is divide light from darkness. He'll start showing you the darkness in you, pulling you away from that, into the light. That's the very first thing he does, brothers and sisters. He doesn't show you what's wrong with others. He shows you what's wrong with you. See? Let's go to Ezekiel 14 and 20 again, brother, because let's, we're going to use the Bible to break this down, Ezekiel 14 down today. Ezekiel 14 and 20. What men did the Bible say again? Ezekiel. 14 and 20. Though Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it. Were in that land. As I live, saith the Lord God. Saith the commandment keepers church. Saith the Lord God. They shall deliver neither son nor daughter. They shall but deliver their own souls by, by their righteousness. How, brother? By their righteousness. Do you see that? They would not be able to deliver their sons, their daughters, but they would be able to deliver who, brother? But they shall but, <clears throat> excuse me, they shall but deliver their own soul. How? By their righteousness. See that? Three individuals listed had merit to save themselves, but not to save others. So the key thing here is you will be able to save yourself, not others. How will we do that, brothers and sisters? This is an invitation. Anytime the Bible is written in this manner, this is an invitation to go look into the life of these men and to mirror the parts that, you know, uh, make you a good man or woman of God, brothers and sisters. That's Israelite or Gentile. Doesn't matter. These three men. Let's go there. Because for the Bible to make it as clear here to say these three men during the time of Ezekiel were the wisest men to ever live, were considered the wisest men, the godliest men to ever live. We would have to go look into that. Let's go to Genesis 6. Let's deal with Noah. Let's go there. We're at Genesis 6. We'll have Brother Christopher read 6 through 9. Genesis 6 and 6. We'll, we'll actually start at 7, brother. Genesis 6 and 7. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air. For it repenteth me that I have made them. Here the Most High laments the state of the, the pre-flood world and his decision to start over, brothers and sisters. Can you read that again, brother? Verse 7, and the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, and the creeping thing, and the fowls of the air. 
for he repented me that I have made them. Continue. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Read that again, brother. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Finding grace implies gaining approval or acceptance or, or special benefits, brothers and sisters. It, Noah didn't earn grace. He found it. You see that? No one earns grace, but we can all find it, brothers and sisters. Take a look at that one more time. Verse 8. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. See that, brothers and sisters? So he found one man blameless amongst his contemporaries with whom to begin again. Can you read the next scripture, brother? Verse 9. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and a perfect in his generations. And Noah walked with God. Brothers and sisters, in scripture... Walking with God is a figure of speech, meaning the manner of life or how we conduct ourselves, okay? What was the secret of his strength, according to the text? Noah walked with God. You see that, brothers and sisters? That was the secret of his strength. He walked with God. Not that he stood with God, not that he sat with God, but he walked with God, which is indicative or indicates what? It implies progression. Brothers and sisters, it implies movement. It implies advancement, brothers and sisters. See? So the first thing we learn about Noah is that he walked with God, right? Let's go to Genesis 5, brother, in 21. Let's read 21 and 22. Because we're dealing with that walk with God. Genesis 5 and 21. Now, Enoch was his grandfather. Okay, brothers and sisters? Enoch was the grandfather of Noah. Verse 21. And Enoch lived sixty and five years and begot Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God after he begot Methuselah three hundred years and begot sons and daughters. According to this text, brothers and sisters, Enoch was likely a godless man for the first 65 years of his life. Why? Read 22 again, brother. Verse 22. And Enoch walked with God after he begot Methuselah 300 years. When did he walk with God? Walked with God after he begot Methuselah 300 years. See that? After See that? He named his son Methuselah, brothers and sisters, by divine revelation. We'll deal with that. But we wanted to show you, it says, Enoch walked with God after Methuselah was born, not before. See? Now, brothers and sisters, Noah is the grandson of Methuselah. We went there to show you that Noah wasn't the first to walk with God. When you believe in God's judgment, brothers and sisters, you will walk with God. And guess what? Enoch walked with God only after he became the father of Methuselah. He was 365 years old, brothers and sisters. What was it about the birth of Methuselah that made Enoch walk with God after that? We would have to go to Luke, brothers and sisters. Let's go to Luke. We're going to Luke 3, brothers and sisters. We're going to Luke, the third chapter, the 37th verse. I want you to take a look at this, brothers and sisters. What does this say, brother? Luke 3 and 37, which was the son of Methuselah, 
which was the son of Enoch. So right away we see that Methuselah was the son of Enoch. Brothers and sisters, go to your Strong's Concordance. Go to your Bible, your biblical Strong's Concordance dictionary, and look at the word Methuselah. Look at the definition of the word Methuselah. What does the word Methuselah mean? It's the Greek number 3103. We know that the New Testament is coming out of Greek. The Old Testament is coming out of Hebrew. So the word Methuselah means what, brothers and sisters? It means when he dies, there shall be judgment, brothers and sisters. That's what it means. That's what his name means. <laughs> okay? It means when he dies, God will judge the earth. That's exactly what his name meant. So he named his son. When this, when my son dies, God will judge the earth. So now you're understanding why he walked with God after he bore this son. <laughs> because God had inspired or really provided this name to say, once your son dies, I'm going to judge the entire earth. See that? So there was a metric. There was a marker there. There was a, a line of demarcation now, brothers and sisters, strictly based on what we see in the name. Now, this is, in, this is imperative, brothers and sisters, that students, that disciples, that scribes, brothers and sisters, actually get into their Strong's Concordance. Because you wouldn't even understand this without going into the definition of Methuselah's name. Brothers and sisters, his name Methuselah means when he dies, God's judging the earth. God will judge the earth. See that? So the Most High told Enoch, when his son died, the world will be judged. Read that again, brother, please. Uh, verse 37. Excuse me. One second. One second, brothers and sisters. We're at Luke. 3 and 37. Luke 3 and 37. Which was the son of Methuselah, which was the son of Enoch, which was the son of Jared. And so it, then it starts going into the whole line. Now notice, brothers and sisters, it's not going into women. It's going into men. You see that? Because you trace the lineage to the man. You see that? According to the Bible, in Hebrew custom, the father determined the race he determined the gender he determined all that see so according to the text the revelation of judgment came first to enoch not to noah do you see that <laughs> see so enoch knew there was a judgment coming before noah knew there was a judgment coming and enoch passed it down do you see brothers and sisters this was the crisis that made Enoch walk with God every day for 300 years. Understanding that when my son dies, imagine when his son got sick or something transpired, the fear that would come over Enoch, thinking that, you know, God is getting ready to rain down fire. Now, of course, Enoch didn't know it would be a flood. He knew it was going to be judgment, but didn't know what type of judgment. That came through Noah. Brothers and sisters, let's go to Hebrews 11, brothers and sisters. Let's go here. Let's go to the New Testament. Well, let's stay in the New Testament, rather. Let's go to Hebrews, the 11th chapter, the 7th verse. 
Hebrews 11 and 7. We're still dealing with Noah. By faith, Noah, being warned of God of the things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house. Brothers and sisters, the Most High spoke a warning to Noah concerning things unseen. Read that one more time, brother. Verse 7. By faith, Noah, being warned of God of the things not seen as yet. Not what? Not seen as yet. Examine his response to the prophecy of the impending holocaust of the world. Moved with fear. He did what? Prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world, and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. Noah building the ark was a byproduct of his faith, brothers and sisters. He had no other basis for his actions devoid of the Most High's declaration. How do we know he had no other basis for his actions? Because there was no such thing as rain. There was no such thing as rain at this time, brothers and sisters. So he had no reason to be building this boat outside of God's direction. Let's read that one more time. Hebrews 11 and 7. Look at it close, brothers and sisters, because true faith, will always reveal itself by what it produces, brothers and sisters. Let's see. By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear. Moved with what? Moved with fear. The text reveals that Noah reacted by moving with godly fear. His godly fear led him to do what, brother? Prepared an ark to the saving of his house. To the what? To the saving of his house. Look at this. His house was saved through his obedience. Now listen. I'm not, I don't want to turn this into a man's mission. <laughs> but I could. Okay. There's so much in this particular text. That this man through his faith and obedience. Saved his entire house. This man. Saved his entire house. Now brothers and sisters. God did not make the ark for Noah. Okay. God told Noah what to do. And Noah had to build the ark. Okay. So what are we seeing? We're seeing that God will give the directions. You will save yourself by acquiescing to his direction. See that? He's not going to prepare the ark for you. <laughs> He'll tell you how to avoid or maneuver. See that, brothers and sisters? There's so much Packed in this passage. Read that one more time, please, brother. Hebrews 11 and 7. By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear. Let's deal with that. He moved with fear, and that godly fear had him do what, brother? Prepared an ark to the saving of his house. That godly fear led to the saving of his house. You see that, brothers and sisters? Men need to be examined in this. Head of households need to be examined in this, okay? Jump to verse, uh, let's go to Psalms, actually, brother. Let's go to Psalms. because we'll, Let's deal with that godly fear and how that godly fear led this particular brother to save his entire house. In fact, without him, you and I are not here today, brothers and sisters. We're at Psalms 119 and 120. Let's see. Psalms. 119 and 120. My flesh trembleth for fear of thee, 
and I am afraid of thy judgment. See, that's the fear. A healthy fear of God includes the fear of the consequences of obedience. See, it's the difference between fearing and being afraid. The Bible never says be afraid of God, okay? Read that one more time, brother, because godly fear keeps us in continual consciousness of the gravity of disobedience. Verse 120. My flesh trembleth for fear of thee, and I am afraid of thy judgment. And what? I am afraid of thy judgment. Our heart should be perpetually governed by this fear, brothers and sisters. The dread of his wrath should prompt us to holiness, brothers and sisters. The text is quite clear. If it's authentic fear, it should propel us towards obedience and godliness, brothers and sisters. My flesh trembleth. Of fear of thee. Why? Because I'm afraid of thy judgment. <laughs> See. Why did you fear your mother and father? You feared. Their judgment. You feared. You know. Their wrath. You feared their punishment. That's why. It's a sign of respect. It's a sign of reverence. It's a sign of awe. Not being afraid. Let's go to Hebrews, brothers and sisters. Let's go to Hebrews. Let's go back to Hebrews 11 now. Hebrews 11 and 7, because we wanted to break down the text. Hebrews 11 and 7. Hebrews 11 and 7. By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear. Prepared an ark to the saving of his house. Notice again, brothers and sisters. Notice again. God did not build the ark. He told Noah to build the ark. So Noah was preserved by his own efforts. See that? He was preserved by his own efforts. You and I will be preserved by our own efforts. That's what this whole lesson is teaching us, brothers and sisters. He said what? There's three men. Noah Daniel and Job, these three men would have been able to deliver themselves. But even these three men wouldn't be able to deliver anyone else. So it's crystal clear. Here we're seeing Noah deliver himself. See, our text reveal how Noah's fear saved both himself and his family. Brothers and sisters, fathers preserve their families by obedience rooted in the appropriate fear of God. It was because Noah feared the Most High, he built the ark to save his family. And I wanted to just touch that one more time, brothers and sisters. Why? Let's go to Ecclesiasticus in the Apographer as we're talking about that fear. Because why? What was it about Noah? That alluded, that, that led Ezekiel to say he was one of the most righteous men to ever walk the face of the earth, according to God. Let's go there. What was it? Because we're going to examine, we're going to investigate these three brothers and see what it is that God is saying, take from these righteous men and implement within your own life. Ecclesiasticus 1 and 21. The fear of the Lord driveth away sins. Read that again, brother, please. The fear of the Lord driveth away sins. See, the fear of God 
is a powerful remedy for sin. Brothers and sisters, true fear is always cognizant of the consequences for offending the Most High God. Read that one more time, brother. Verse 21. The fear of the Lord driveth away sin. And where it is present, it turneth away wrath. See that? Authentic fear keeps us within boundaries and repels sin, brothers and sisters. And here, read the, here reads the evidence of a proper response to godly fear. Read it again, brother, please. Verse 21. The fear of the Lord driveth away sin. See that? That's the proper response, brothers and sisters. And... And where it is present, where the fear of the Lord is present, it turneth away wrath. It turn away the wrath of God. See that? See, this is absolute here. The fear of God drive away sins. So if you feared him, you would follow him. So when our people, our people, see, the Christian church has not taught us to fear the most high God. So when you show our people a scripture in the Bible, they'll look right at that and still not deal with it. Why? Because they don't have the proper fear of the Most High. Because why? It hasn't been taught. It hasn't been taught. The Bible tells you clearly. How can you fear God you've never been taught of? See that, brothers and sisters? How can they hear it without a teacher, the Bible says? See? The fear of the Lord drive away sins. The Bible told us through the fear of the Most High God, he saved the entire world, Noah. Go to Ecclesiastes 2 and 15, brother, just one chapter over. Ecclesiastes 2 and 15. They that fear the Lord will not disobey his word, and they that love him will keep his ways. You see that, brothers and sisters? The fear of God drives men to seek his approval in every part of life. Read that one more time, brother. Verse 15. They that fear the Lord will not disobey his word. They will not what? Will not disobey his word. Godly fear implies that your desires are less important than his. And they that love him will keep his way. See that? The only way to love him is what? They that love him will keep his way. See that? <laughs> That's how we know who loves him. Continue. Verse 16. They that fear the Lord will seek that which is well, pleasing unto him. And they that love him shall be filled with the law. See, this is a manifestation of authentic godly fear. The fear of the Most High is shown how? In restraint, brothers and sisters. Love, however, emphasizes is emphasized in our actions. How do we know? Read that one more time, brother, please. Verse 15. They that fear the Lord will not disobey his word, and they that love him will keep his ways. See that? So, so continue. Verse 16. Listen to this. They that fear the Lord will seek that which is well, pleasing unto him. And they that love him shall be filled with the law. That's key, brothers and sisters. So there's two parts there. There's fear and there's love. The fear of the Most High is shown in restraint. It's shown in your self-control. However, the love is emphasized in what you do, not what you don't do. Do you get that, brothers and sisters? They that love him shall be filled with the law. They that love him shall keep their commandments. 
You see, brothers and sisters? So the fear is, is linked collectively to the restraint. The love is what you do. So it's not only what you don't do, it's what you do do, brothers and sisters. No pun intended. You see that? Let us show you. Let's go to Genesis 8 and 15. Let us use this. Genesis 8 and 15. We're talking about Noah here, brothers and sisters. Genesis 8 and 15. And God spake unto Noah, saying, Saying what, brother? Go forth of the ark, thou and thy wife, and thy sons, and thy sons' wives with thee. Brothers and sisters, so they came out at God's command and immediately did what? Jump to verse 20, brother. What did they do? Genesis 8 and 20. And Noah built an altar unto the Lord and took of every clean beast and of every clean fowl and offered burnt offerings on the altar. Brothers and sisters, examine Noah's first deed upon exiting the ark. Read that again, brother, please. Verse 20. And Noah built an altar unto the Lord. Look at this, brothers and sisters. Noah's first recorded act after leaving the ark is one of worship. This particular text reveals what? Noah's priesthood. <laughs> See, because why? He's, he's doing the sacrifices. See, so Noah was the priest even before Moses. Read that again, brother, please. Verse 20. Noah built an altar unto the Lord. And took of every clean beast. Took of every what? Every clean beast. Look at this, brothers and sisters. Why is it saying there's clean beasts and clean fowl when Moses doesn't even exist at this time? Leviticus 11 doesn't even exist at this time to show you that there was a law before Moses. How would he know what's clean and unclean, brothers and sisters? Understand, the only thing that could be sacrificed was the clean food. You couldn't sacrifice unclean fowl or beast unto the Most High God. Even in Genesis. See, this is well before Moses. Because people try to make it seem as if the dietary law is somehow a Mosaic law. And that didn't exist until Moses. Read that again, brother, please. Genesis 8 and 20. And Noah built an altar unto the Lord and took up every clean beast. And of every clean fowl and offered burnt offerings on the altar. Not only was he a prophet proven by his prognostication of coming judgment, but he was a priest revealed by his sacrifice, brothers and sisters. So this was the first thing Noah did before he attended to any other necessities. Continue. Verse 21. And the Lord smelled a sweet savor and the Lord said in his heart. Read that again, brother. Verse 21, and the Lord smelled a sweet savor. This is the only time scripture shows God explicitly smelling the aroma from a sacrifice, brothers and sisters. When we sacrifice unto the Most High, the Bible writes it in this way, that it's like a sweet smelling savor. When we pray to the Most High, when we sacrifice to him, it, it lets off a sweet aroma that he loves. And the Lord said in his heart. I will not again curse the ground any more for man's sake. For the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I again smite any more everything living as I have done. So we wanted to show you that what? 
The Bible told you Noah was one of the most righteous men to ever walk the face of the earth. Why? We're going into it. The first thing that he did, numero uno, after coming off of, after the earth is destroyed, he gets out and what? Does what? Worships the most high. The very first thing he did. So we're showing you priority, brothers and sisters. See that? We're showing you obedience. We're showing you priority. These are all things we can yield from Noah. Okay? Follow us to Job, the first chapter, the eighth verse, brothers and sisters, please. Job 1 and 8. And the Lord said unto Satan. Now remember, it was who? It was Noah. It was Job. It was Daniel. We're going to go to each one of these biblical characters to find out why Ezekiel considered them the most righteous men to ever walk the face of the planet before Christ. Verse 8. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? Brothers and sisters, closely examine the characteristics highlighted in this particular passage. Please read that again, brother. Because Verse. this was God's pronouncement of Job's character. Verse 8. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man? A what? A perfect and upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. One that what, brother? One that feareth God and escheweth evil. Examine the association between the fear of God and the hatred of evil. Do you see that, brothers and sisters? It said not only did he fear God, but he hated evil. He hated it. He didn't dislike it. He hated it, brothers and sisters. See that? Let's go to Romans 12 and 9. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about that hating evil. Do you have that? How do you feel about evil? Are you accepting of evil? Let's go to Romans 12 and 9. Let's talk about that. Because this was one of the key characteristics that made Job who he was. Romans 12 and 9. Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Brothers and sisters, abhor means to find repugnant, to, to hate or to loathe. According to the author, Paul the appropriate attitude towards evil behavior is vehement opposition. Read that one more time, please, brother. Verse 9. Let love be without dissimulation. Without mixture. Abhor that which is evil. Do what? Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. According to the text, the Most High calls on us to be able to distinguish between good and evil. He said, hate what is evil Cleave to what is good. Do you see that? So this phrase is a call to hold to hold a, a repulsive attitude towards evil. A lukewarm approach to evil will ultimately destroy any believer, brothers and sisters. And that's what we're seeing here. Not only should you hate evil, but you should pursue what is good. See? 
Job was doing this, brothers and sisters. Now, the, the, the thing about this is Job was doing this before there was a law. Job lived before Moses. There was no law. And Job was fearing the Most High God and hating evil. There was no law that said fear God and hate evil. Yet he was doing it. How was he dealing with that, brothers and sisters, without the Holy Spirit? And see, that's the vital part, that we have the Holy Spirit, which means the Bible tells you we would do greater signs than Christ himself, than John the Baptist. Because why? We have the Holy Spirit. Those brothers in the Old Testament did not have the indwelling Holy Spirit, okay? Let's go here. Let's go to Job 31, brother. Let's go to Job 31 and 5. Let's read 5 through 10. Job 31 and 5. If I have walked with vanity, or if my foot hath hasted to deceit, let me be weighed in an even balance, that God may know my integrity. If I have walked in vanity, or my foot hath fastened or hastened to deceit, let me be weighed and an even balance, right? Verse 7. If my step hath turned out of the way, and mine heart walked after mine eyes. Listen to this integrity, brothers and sisters, right? Look at this judgment. This is righteous judgment right here. Remember, it said he hated evil. Read that again. Verse 7. If my step hath turned out of the way, and mine heart walked after mine eyes. And if any blot hath cleaved to my hands, if any sin have cleaved to my hands, then let me sow and let another eat. Let me do the work and another reap the rewards. Yeah, let my offspring be rooted out. Let my offspring be rooted out. Let my children be taken out. Punish me, Father. Verse 9. If mine heart have been deceived by a woman, or if I have laid wait at my neighbor's door, then let my wife grind into another and let others bow down upon her. Look at how righteous this is. This is righteous judgment. He said, listen, if I have been deceived by a woman, if I have been taken in lust, then let my wife grind on another man. Let another man bow down on top of her. You see that? See, this is righteousness. Because why? The Bible knows, God knows, that we tend to judge other people more harsh than we judge ourselves. The things that you let yourself get away with, you would never let another get away with. Here it was, Job hated evil to the point where he said, if I do wrong, these are punishments, these are punishments that I am willing to experience, to heap upon myself. Do you see this? This is what made Job one of the most righteous men to walk. Let's go to Psalms 139, brother. Let's go here. Psalms 139. We're going to read verse 23 and 24. The last two scriptures in this particular chapter. Psalms 139 and 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Brothers and sisters, this is the prayer of the man who recognizes that he doesn't know himself. Can you read that again, verse 23, brother? 
verse 23. Notice the integrity. He strived to know all his sins that he might be delivered from them. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me. See that, brothers and sisters? He understood that you cannot be delivered from what you haven't acknowledged. See, that's why he says, see if there's anything wicked in me. Because if I don't know about it, there's no way I can be delivered from it. And lead me in the way everlasting. See that, brothers and sisters? You cannot acknowledge anything you're unaware of. So one of the attributes of sin is to hide man from himself, to conceal his deformity. See, so usually you don't even see your own shortcomings there like that, brothers and sisters. We're showing you what made Job so great, brothers and sisters, is that he invited the judgment of God. Let's go to Job 13 and 15. Let's go back there. Job 13 and 15. Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. Brothers and sisters, examine this glorious declaration of allegiance to the Most High God. Verse 15. Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. Though he slay me, I will trust him. But I will maintain mine own ways before him. Anyone who's been deeply broken recognizes this moment in their journey. Brothers and sisters, adversity, trials, and suffering are God's greatest tools for maturing us spiritually. Brothers and sisters, to where Job says, listen, I'll accept any judgment from you and I'll trust you. See that, brothers and sisters? This is what the Most High loved about Job. Let's go to uh, Proverbs, brother. Let's go there, actually. Proverbs 19 and 3. What's that say, brother? Proverbs 19 and 3. The foolishness of man perverted his way, and his heart fretted against the Lord. This is why we went here. Because Job said, though you slay me, though you punish me, Though adversity, I trust you. That's uncommon, though, brothers and sisters, because most times when we're angry with God, we go against God. We avoid God. Look at this again. Verse three, the foolishness of man perverted his way. It's your idiocracy. It is the foolishness of man that drives you in the wrong direction. However, and his heart. Against the Lord. His heart goes against God. His heart is angry with God, even though it's his own foolishness that led him to destruction. You see this, brothers and sisters? So when destruction comes, then we blame God. Job said, though he slay me, yet I will trust him. <laughs> see? The foolishness of man take him off the path. However, his heart, he hate God. He's angry with God, even though it was his own foolishness. What tends to happen is, brothers and sisters, we get we get hit with, with a drive-by of our own decisions. And it all comes at one time. It all comes by somebody. It's just like a drive-by shooting of all your old decisions that are now coming back to get you. And that's what it is, brothers and sisters. We get lit up by our own previous past decisions. 
They come back on us. And then we get angry with God. Job didn't do that. See? Go back to Job, brother. Job 1 and 20. Let's go there. Let's read 20 through 22. Job 1 and 20. Then Job arose. This is after his children have died. And rent his mantle. And shaved his head. And fell down upon the ground and worshipped. And did what? And worshipped. Look at this. In the midst of his mourning, Job decided to worship brothers and sisters. Do you see that? He has just lost children. And he decides to go worship God. Okay? Continue. Verse 21. Now look at this. Because despite his anger, Job does something that most struggle with today. Job rushes to God in his anger. Not away. Do you see that? That's the key. Usually when we get angry with God, we go away from God. We don't go to him. Job went directly to God and fell on his face in worship. You see that, brothers and sisters? <laughs> see, this is called a sacrifice of praise, a sacrifice of worship in the face of your adversity. <laughs> Read that one more time, brother. Job 1 and 20. Then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshipped and said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this Job sinned not nor charge God foolishly. Read that again, brother, please. In all this, Job sinned not. In all this, Job sinned not. Why, brothers and sisters? Because it's emphasizing that even though he is hurt, even though he lost his children, he still didn't sin against God. You see that? He didn't charge God foolishly, showing you that what is common, that people charge God. They blame God. They get angry with God and blame God. This passage reveals that Job analyzed his situation in a godly manner. Brothers and sisters, the text highlights Job's anger, but his restraint from sin. See? You see that, brothers and sisters? His anger, his sadness, his sorrow led to worship. See? Imagine you lose your job one day and then you go home and worship God. After you done lost your job. Or you done lost your child. Imagine that. Imagine the quality of man this must have had to been, brothers and sisters. To lose children and then go home moments later, hours later, only to fall on your face to fall on your face and worship. See? Let's go to Hebrews. 13 and 15, brother, because the Bible told you these particular men would have the righteousness to deliver themselves. We need that righteousness. Let us find the righteousness within these men and implement it and emulate this, internalize this. Hebrews 13 and 15. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. The what? 
the sacrifice of praise to God continually. See that? Praise does not always cost us something, brothers and sisters. Sacrifice of praise is when I have to deny myself to give praise to God. That's what we saw with Job, brothers and sisters. To praise God when the answer is no requires what? Personal sacrifice. The text says that this sacrifice is to be offered continually. See, that's the key. Because sometimes you don't feel like praising God. See, that's what makes it a sacrifice is that you don't feel like doing it. Read that again, brother, please. Verse 15. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise. How long? How long? Continually. How long? Continually. That is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. See that? So it tells you what the sacrifice of praise is. It's giving thanks to his name. See? Praise is giving thanks, brothers and sisters, thanking him for what he's done. Worship is worshiping for who he is. So our praise of God is not to be based on our opinion of his job performance. How do we know? Because the text says it must be done continually. See? So giving God praise is not a matter of feeling good about him or, you know, our God is good even when times are not, brothers and sisters. That's why it says what, Brother Christopher? Verse 15. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. How long? Continually. He does deserve our praise, especially when we don't feel or see anything to be grateful about. Brothers and sisters, let us show you that. Let's go to Psalms 51, brother. Let's go to the Old Testament here. Psalms 51 and 15. We're going to read 15 through 17. Take a look at this, brothers and sisters, please. Psalms 51 and 15. O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. Are what? A broken spirit. And a broken and contrite heart. O God, thou will not despise. Brothers and sisters, the psalmist reminds us that the only path to salvation is a broken heart and a humble spirit. And that's key, brothers and sisters. Matter of fact, let us go to that word contrite. Let's pull it up in the Hebrew. Just so, because this is what you need to get used to doing. When you're seeing words you're not familiar with, brothers and sisters, you don't just skim past it, okay? You actually find out what it means. Let's go to Psalms 51, brothers and sisters, because I want our listeners to get used to doing this. We're going to the uh, strong Concordance, Psalms 51 and, what's that, 16, actually 17. We're at this word contrite here. It's the Hebrew number. 1794, which means to be crushed, brothers and sisters. See, to be crushed, to collapse. See that? Why is the Bible saying he's close to a collapse or crushed heart, brothers and sisters? See that? A broken spirit is when all idea of our own importance is gone. An emotional crushing is an invitation to the Most High. Let's read those scriptures one more time. Let's uh, let's read 
15 through 17, brother. Psalms 51 and 15. O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give thee. I don't want a sacrifice. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. He's saying, listen, I, if you delighted in sacrifice, I would have gave it to you. Verse 17. The sacrifices of God. But, are, the, but the sacrifice that God wants are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. Oh, God, that would not despise. See, so a broken heart is diametrically opposed to a hard heart. Brothers and sisters, your spiritual progression begins after you've been broken and crushed. See, you must crush the grape to make the wine. You must crush the olive to make the oil. See that you can only get the olive oil out of the oil after it's, excuse me, out of the olive after it's crushed. You can only get the wine or the grape juice out of the grape after it's crushed, brothers and sisters. What God wants is a broken and contrite heart. It's just like broken the wheel of a horse. A natural horse is untamed, brothers and sisters. You cannot ride it, okay? It will not go where you want. Once it's broken, once you've broken it. See, it's that same principle. Some of us know about breaking in shoes. You get some new shoes or some new jeans, some new denim, right? You got to break them in. See, so they don't really form, they don't really form around you good, because why? They're stubborn, they're still stubborn because it's too new. He's telling you here, he's going to put you in certain circumstances to break you down, okay? To break you down, because why? Once you're broken and vulnerable, now <laughs> you're more willing to, to obey, Okay? Your love doesn't cost as much now, okay? See, it's the same thing you did, your parents did to you as a kid. They spanked your behind. Why? To break your will. See? Without that spanking or breaking or crushing, you would be self-willed. So in order to break that self-will, they used the belt. God uses a spiritual belt. Let's go to Hebrews 5 and 8. Let's take a look at this, brothers and sisters. Let's go here. Hebrews, the fifth chapter, the eighth verse. Hebrews 5 and 8. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. This is speaking of Christ, brothers and sisters. What did it say, brother? Though he were a son, though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. Brothers and sisters, suffering is unnatural to us and therefore calls for the surrender of our will. See that, brothers and sisters? Christ needed suffering. Christ needed suffering that he might learn to obey and give up his will at any cost. That's the key here. It says he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. Brothers and sisters, we only learn obedience by denying ourselves. That's the key. See, you only learn obedience when you suffer. You suffer when you deny yourself, brothers and sisters. See, so all obedience 
is not learned, brothers and sisters. If if your father or you tell your son to eat a bowl of ice cream, did he learn obedience through that? No, he wanted to eat ice cream. Or he didn't feel that strongly about it. There's things in our life that God said don't do that we really didn't feel that strongly about, right? God said, well, listen, don't spend money on Saturday. Okay, cool. God said, don't eat pork. Okay, cool. We don't really feel strongly about certain things, but there's some things you do feel strongly about. And God is telling you, you're going to have to deny yourself. That's how you learn obedience is when you want this and God says no, and you say, nevertheless, nevertheless. See that, brothers and sisters, you learn obedience only through things in which you suffer. See? Let's go to Daniel, brother. Let's go to Daniel now, because why? He was the third. We had who? Noah, Job, Daniel. Let's find out some of the characteristics, some of the traits that God considered so righteous in this man. We're going to read 3 through 8, brothers and sisters. Daniel 1 and 3. And the king spake unto Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel, and of the king's seed, and of the princes, children in whom was no blemish, but well favored, and skillful in all wisdom, and cunning in knowledge and understanding science, and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace, and in whom they might teach the learning in the tongue of the Chaldeans. So look at this. They were looking for what we call the talented tenth, brothers and sisters. They were looking for the skilled of our people, those with royal bloodline, brothers and sisters, those who could learn their science, learn to... Their, to, to speak their language, brothers and sisters. They were looking for the intelligent of our people, right? Here we go. Uh, read verse 5, brother, please. Daniel 1 and 5. And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years. Three years. So he wanted these brothers, including Daniel, to be in the palace for three years. And of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years, that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. After they were trained and learned for three years, they would stand before the king. Continue, brother. Verse 6. Now among these were of the children of Judah, Daniel, Ananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Look at this next verse, brothers and sisters. Verse 7. Unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names. He did what? Gave names. He gave what, brother? Gave names. He gave them names. For he gave unto Daniel the name of Belteshazzar, and to Hananiah of Shadrach, and to Mishael of Meshach, and to Azariah of Abednego. Brothers and sisters, this is a part of denouncing your prior allegiance and citizenship. When they change their name. Notice that a lot of like Koreans and different people come to America. I asked a brother, you know, I'm at a Korean shop the other day. Um, I'm asked the brother, what's your name? And he told me his name was Michael. I'm like, brother, your name is not Michael, brother, okay? 
when you start doing that, when you start changing the name, you start to lose the culture, brothers and sisters. And they understood this. This was a principle that you could find all throughout the manuscript called the Bible, brothers and sisters, where they, when we served in other people, they taught us that we were somebody else. Because why? Those names that they had, had meanings behind that, brothers and sisters. Hebrew meanings. So they wanted to change that. Read verse 8, brother, please. Daniel 1 and 8. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. You see that? This was forced assimilation, encouraging us to forget the God and traditions of our homeland, brothers and sisters. So here it was, they were trying to feed him certain foods against the Bible, <laughs> coming from the king, right? Trying to give him the best wines. See, all of this was, brothers and sisters, when you ate, when you broke bread, that was spiritual. That was spiritual in the Bible, okay? When somebody invited you into their home, sat down and broke bread with you, that was spiritual business, brothers and sisters. So here it was, they, this was part of the bribery. Was listen, we're gonna give you the best meats, what they consider the best meats, which we don't consider delicatessens. The best wine, we're gonna give you the best wine. And he said, Listen, I don't want to disrespect the king, but I don't want to eat that meat. Because why, brothers and sisters, most of those meats are being sacrificed to demons, and he knew it. Let's go to Proverbs 23. Let's go to Proverbs, brothers and sisters, 23 and 2. Let's learn about Daniel. Proverbs 23 and 2. And put a knife to thy throat, if thou be a man given to appetite. Brothers and sisters, according to the text, strong temptations require severe responses. The author admonishes us to resist the lust and appetites of the flesh. Read that one more time, brother. Verse 2. And put a knife to thy throat. If thou be a man given to appetite. Brothers and sisters, do we know our appetites? Especially for men, okay? When you come from a, being a boy into manhood, it's when? When you start to understand your appetites. Do you know the sins that easily beset us? See? Read that again, brother, because we must put a knife to those appetites and denied them by cutting off any occasions for them. Verse 2. And put a knife to thy throat, if thou be a man given to appetite. Hold on, brother. Read verse 1. Because 1 through 3 is the precept for what we read in Daniel, the first chapter. Proverbs 23 and 1. When thou sittest to eat with a ruler. Now remember, Daniel was eating in the king's palace. When thou sittest to eat with a ruler. Do what? Consider diligently what is before thee. Consider diligently what you think you're getting ready to do. Verse 2. And put a knife to thy throat, if thou be a man given to appetite. Be not desirous of his dainty. Why? For they are deceitful meat. See that? Remember, he didn't eat any of the king's meat either. Or drink the wine. Brothers and sisters, millions of dollars, million dollar deals, tens of millions of dollar deals go down over dinner, brothers and sisters. 
See, it goes down over dinner. It's something spiritual about that. Contracts get signed over dinner, brothers and sisters. See? So he's telling you, be careful what you do in the presence of the king. Okay? Don't be bribed here. Okay? Because why, brothers and sisters, your mindset, it changes after you eat. Okay? So that's why you have to be careful, you know, with gluttony and all types of stuff. Because your whole mindset, you get a little sluggish, may not want to read, may not want to study that much. There's a change in your body once food goes into it. Okay? Let's go to Ecclesiasticus, brother. Let's go to the Apocrypha while we're talking about this appetite here, right? Ecclesiasticus, the 18th chapter and the 30th verse. Ecclesiasticus 18 and 30. Go not after thy lust, but refrain thyself from thine appetite. Do what? But refrain thyself from thine appetites. Brothers and sisters, being fleshly driven will prove not only to be counterproductive, but self-destructive. How do we know? Read the next scripture, brother. Verse 31. If thou givest thy soul the desires that please her, she will make thee a laughingstock to thine enemies that malign thee. See, we must refrain from a life of pleasure and dissipation, brothers and sisters. According to the text. Capitulation to our sinful appetite will result in the yoke of bondage. Read that again, brother, please. Verse 31. If thou givest thy soul the desires that please her, she will make thee a laughingstock to thine enemies that malign thee. See, so a self-indulgent life is reciprocated with bondage and spiritual poverty, brothers and sisters. See that? We must not acquiesce to our unrelenting sinful appetites brothers and sisters Daniel showed us this Daniel showed us this to be in the palace to not eat meat to not drink the best of the best wines right he was showing us what he was showing us discipline with the appetites now why do we bring this up brothers and sisters the very first sin had to do with what food. Jacob and Esau, what did that have to do with? Isaac, Isaac giving over the blessing, what did that have to do with? Food. See that? So when you actually study food in the Bible and how much sin has come into the appetite, much sin, the first sin came through the appetite, brothers and sisters. Then you see how righteous this man was see the very first sin the very first sin came through what food brothers and sisters let's go to first corinthians 9 and 27 brother brothers and sisters first corinthians the ninth chapter we're gonna have brother christopher read the last verse which is 27 1 Corinthians 9 and 27, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. 
Brothers and sisters, read read the first read the first part again, brother. Verse twenty seven. But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection. Brothers and sisters, you don't have to keep something under control that doesn't have a tendency to get out of control. Okay, men and women must be awakened to the duty of self mastery, mastery over our passions. Read that again, brother, please. Verse twenty seven. But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection. Bring it what? Bring it into subjection. The apostle considers his body as an enemy which must which he must contend with. Lest that by any means, when I have preached to others When I have what? When I have preached to others What happened? I myself should be a castaway. See so he's telling you that listen, even though we want to teach the truth and share the truth. What's most important is your life, brothers and sisters. See, our body should not dictate should not dictate to us what we will do. We should dictate to our body what it will do, brothers and sisters. This is what Daniel did. Daniel mastered himself. Daniel's first temptation was food, brothers and sisters. Adam's first temptation was food, brothers and sisters. Christ's first temptation was food, brothers and sisters. The first temptation of man and woman was to consume food that God had instructed them not to have. Let's go to Matthew 4, because we said Christ's first temptation was food. Let's find out. Let's go to Matthew 4 and 1 through 4. What's that say, brother? Matthew 4 and 1. Then was Christ led up of the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward in hunger. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the son of God, command that these stones be made bread. His first temptation was food, brothers and sisters. So don't tell me that the restraint that Daniel is showing, <laughs> okay, isn't something remarkable. See that? Satan has always tempted with food. With appetite. Okay? Read that again, brother. Verse 2. Verse 2. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward in hunger. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Now, brothers and sisters, how long was he fasting? Verse 2. Verse 2. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward in hunger. Brothers and sisters, he fasted for 40 days. Is there, is there a law that says you can't turn stones into bread, brothers and sisters? He wasn't hurting anyone. He wasn't stealing. He wasn't a glutton. So why didn't he turn these stones into bread? You see that? He understood everything that you can do doesn't mean you should do, brothers and sisters. See, Satan understands this. Satan will try to get you caught up on the good to keep you away from the great, brothers and sisters. Everything is not for edification. Everything is not profitable. See? See? Christ wouldn't have been hurting anybody by turning stones into bread. 
He wouldn't have been stealing. He wouldn't have been considered a glutton. But he understood one thing. Everything is not profitable. You need to be able to determine what is profitable and what is not. Okay, that's a sign of maturity. You need to understand what's primary and what's ancillary or secondary, brothers and sisters. See this? Satan will get you caught up on doing what's good rather than what's great. See? He'll get you pulled away from what God actually put on the path for you. And it's not that you'll be sinning. Because if Christ did this, he wouldn't have been sinning. <laughs> See? So it shows you that even in the right choice, even amongst right choices, there's a choice. There's more than one right choice, brothers and sisters, as we're seeing here. Let's go to 1 Corinthians. Let us show you here. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 6 and 12. 1 Corinthians 6 and 12. All things are lawful unto me. But all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me. But I will not be brought under the power of any. Mm. Brothers and sisters, Paul's point is that liberty should have limitations. Even if all things were lawful, not everything should be done. Read that again, please, brother. Verse 12. All things are lawful unto me. I can do what I want. I have the power to do what I want. But all things are not expedient. All things are not profitable. So we must learn to distinguish the profitable things from among all the lawful things we could do. Because why? There's a lot of lawful food that I can eat. <laughs> okay? It doesn't mean I'm going to eat steak every day just because it's lawful. See? <laughs> There's out of 100 things, 70 things are unlawful, 30 things are lawful. How do you determine out of 30 things what you'll do? See? Read that again, brother, please. Because the question should never be, is it lawful? The question should be, does it glorify God? 1 Corinthians 6 and 12. All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me. But I will not be brought under the power of any. I will not be brought under the power of any. See, that's the key. See? Brothers and sisters, the glorification of God is a broad net. Out of a hundred things, 70 things may be unlawful. That leaves you with 30 things that are lawful. How do I determine what of these 30 things I do? See? See? That's your next step of maturity. Go to 1 Corinthians 10 and 23, brother, please. 1 Corinthians 10 and 23. Daniel understood this. He understood what was profitable. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. Why? Because there was no law that said he couldn't eat meat or drink wine while living in the palace. See that? All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. See that, brothers and sisters? There are many lawful things on earth that you can do, but they're not all profitable for spiritual development. If you don't learn to be selective, 
You're going to miss out on God's plan for your life. Read that again, brother, please. Verse 23. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. See, so in order to, to be in order to to be an effective servant of God, you will have to learn to discern the profitable from the lawful. See, everything lawful is not profitable. The secret of a godly life lies in the choices we make. Brothers and sisters, don't get encumbered with anything that would impede your progress. All things are lawful for me. I can do whatever I want. Nobody can force me. I have free will. But all things are not expedient. See? All things do not edify. All things don't get me to my goal. Every decision you make should be determined based on your vision, what your goal is. If I'm going to be a basketball player as a kid, you know, every decision I make is based on, is this going to help me get to the NBA or not? Is me picking up this magazine going to help me get to my destination or not? See, when you have a destination, you know exactly what direction to go. If you have somewhere to go, you know, well, I'm not going to go left. I'm going to go right, actually. See, because you have a vision. The Bible tells you that what? Without a vision, men perish. So you must have a vision. You have to have a vision. Okay. Let us show you because Daniel also taught us what? The power of reputation. See, he taught us what? How to have our appetites in subjection. He taught us how even every, everything that's lawful is not for edification purposes. And that is probably the most important thing we'll learn today. Christ taught us that too. When he didn't turn those stones into bread, even though it wouldn't have been a sin, it wouldn't have been profitable. Let's go to Daniel 6 and 4, because let us show you Daniel's reputation amongst the people. Daniel 6 and 4. Then the presidents and the princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom. But they could find none occasion nor fault. For as much as he was faithful, neither was there any error or fault found in him. Neither what, brother? Neither was there any error or fault found in him. See, after extensive search on Daniel's background, his adversaries could not find any corruption in his leadership. Brothers and sisters. So the success of some always leads to the envy of others. See, he had success. Why? Because of our God. Those had envy or jealousy against him. Brothers and sisters, why? Read four again, brother, please. Because it was the envy that motivated them to look for skeletons in this man's closet. Verse four. Then the presidents and princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find none occasion nor fault. For as much as he was faithful, neither was there any error or fault found in him. Read. Then said these men, What did they say, brother? We shall not find any occasion against this Daniel, except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. So it was clear that he was a man of God, because they knew. See, brothers and sisters, whenever you find yourself in leadership, you must be cognizant of the envy. 
See, that comes with that. And here it was. Daniel's done nothing to these brothers. But they're looking to, to show fault in this man. To make themselves feel better. Guess what else? There's some other people who are going to do that to you. They're going to look to show fault. They're going to look to show your past. To make themselves feel taller. See, brothers and sisters, just to dim your light a little bit, just to, you know, just to dim your bright light down a little bit. We're going to bring up what you used to do. We're going to look for error. We're showing you what? Reputation, brothers and sisters. We're showing you what? Envy that comes when there's leadership involved, brothers and sisters. You have to be cognizant of that because why good leaders must know how to operate understanding that that is there. That can be operating amongst brethren. Okay? See, a wise leader understands that element. Okay? Let's go to Proverbs, brother, while we're talking about reputation and how Daniel's reputation preceded him. They knew there was no way they were going to find fault. Unless they could do it through our God, brothers and sisters. So what did they do? They used the law to say we couldn't pray, right? Let's go to Proverbs 22 and 1. Proverbs 22 and 1. A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches and loving favor rather than silver and gold. This is what we learned from David, brothers and sisters. Excuse me, not David, Daniel. A good reputation is to be more desired than great wealth, brothers and sisters. It's crystal clear that a good reputation is of great value and therefore is something that we should strive to earn and maintain. Let's take a look at that one more time. Verse 1, a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches and loving favor rather than silver and gold. Why? Because if we have poor reputations, our message is tainted as well, brothers and sisters. See? So we wanted to show you that, brothers and sisters. We wanted to show you the, the, the importance of what? The importance of reputation. See? Brothers and sisters, the title of today's lesson was the urgency of the hour brothers and sisters we utilize the bible to show you three righteous men or whom the bible considered the most righteous men to ever walk until christ there were certain characteristics about these men that we need to emulate brothers and sisters that we need to internalize in order to deliver ourselves brothers and sisters noah's taught us noah taught us one thing that you will be saved by what you do. Okay? You will be saved not by what you don't do. You'll be saved by what you do. By the work of your hands. By your obedience, brothers and sisters. Noah was either going to live or die based on his obedience. The title of today's lesson, once again, The Urgency of the Hour. We want to say, Kwam Yasharala. Kwam Yasharala. Sin no more. Sin no more.